We'll get started this morning. Good morning, good morning. It's great to see everybody. For those watching us at home, we welcome you as well. So glad you're able to be with us and enjoy our time of worship together this morning. Got a few announcements, so I want to go ahead and get started on that. Uh, We are uh, celebrating communion this morning, as you can see. Um, We're going to, as you can tell, we're doing it the way we've done it in the past, where we're going to have deacons and us help proceed uh, down the middle at the end of the service. If you aren't comfortable with doing this yet, we do have some elements in the back um, that are prepared, that are self-contained. And we also have gluten-free options in the back as well and up here for those that need that. Also, just want to continue to remind you, Wednesday night activity started up last week. We had a wonderful turnout. We are very excited about the women's and men's Bible studies and for the youth and the kids, all that's going on. We just ask you to check those details out on the website at gatewaybaptist.com. And those Wednesday night activities start at 6 o'clock. So we encourage you to come be a part of that community time. Also, just another reminder, this Saturday, February 12th, is the Parents' Night Out. The young adults are hosting and uh, blessing the families to have an opportunity for child care. That will be from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Now, here's the thing. Even though right now it's full, we do have an opportunity. There's a waiting list that those that may still want to come, uh, parents that want to bring the kids, uh, to go on our website, gatewaybaptist.com, and there's a waiting list section that if others sign up, that there could be an opportunity to find more uh, volunteers to help to extend the numbers. So if you are still interested in that, go to the website, and you can get on the wait list, and then they'll, they'll make the appropriate adjustments as needed. Um, for those, many are started to come that are new, we've uh, provided an opportunity, this specific type of app called the Dwell app. And it's a scripture listening app that you can use to get into the word each day. Uh, We just want to remind you it's available for free as the church. If you just follow the link that's on here, you'll be able to register and get signed up to have that access to enjoy the scriptures um, on a daily basis. And there's all type of different um, plans and such on there. Uh, Last minute adjustment we wanted to put on here for an announcement. The young adult men are going to host a Super Bowl party. For the guys, this Sunday night coming up, Super Bowl night, uh, here in the gym, it's 5 p.m. They just want an opportunity for, uh, just for fellowship, to get to know one another, um, just for the men to come in and have fellowship. There's going to be games, um, cornhole, all that type of activity. There will be food as well. And so the game will be on the big screen and just a wonderful night of fellowship. There will be an email sent out to all the guys for RSVP, uh, so just the young adult men know how much food to get uh, to provide for those guys that are coming. So I just want to encourage you guys uh, to see, uh, sign up for that and just expect that this week, an email regarding that. Well, that should do it. Let's stand up and uh, get into the Word and start our time together of worship through song. And just want to read this scripture for us. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 22. And David spoke to the Lord the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And David said, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my Savior. Let's worship our rock this morning.
hope is built. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest spring, but wholly trust in Jesus' name.
We're going to get ready to sing this uh, new song, introduce it to you guys. It's called uh, Singing in the Victory. And the chorus is, I'm singing in the victory, the victory of the cross, resting in the shadow of your redeeming love. I'm standing on the promise, the promise of new life. I am yours forever. Jesus, you are mine. Jesus, you are mine. I like to read this text. Very familiar text. And just as today, as we're getting ready to take communion later on in the service, and even in um, the sermon itself, the text where we're going to be looking at our faith, and our faith being a gift from God. Looking in John, we're looking at the death of Jesus when he's on the cross. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. In one sense, him saying it is finished and dying is just that he was dying. But in another sense, when he's saying it is finished, the plan set forth from the beginning of time, the redemption of lost sinners, a way being made back to Christ, it was finished. Christ's death on the cross completed the process in which that we could be redeemed back to Jesus, back to God that gave us a hope for a future with him. So as we sing this song, that we can sing in the victory, the victory of the cross, the victory is not in of ourselves. Our salvation is by grace through faith alone, and that is a gift from Christ. So in the death on the cross, our victory is in Christ's death. God. 
Grady had asked me to uh, share a little bit in terms of a mission trip that I'll be taking uh, this Thursday, and so I wanted to highlight a couple of things. Uh, Joe, you got the slide? Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'll be heading back to El Salvador. Some of you were here last year when I took the trip in June, and uh, we are heading back, and this is a part, a three, really actually nine times we go. It's a, it's a course in which we teach a number of things, and it builds on uh, that curriculum. Each, each course is a new one, and it builds and so we're going to be going back uh, to, to San Miguel, El Salvador, and uh, we will be uh, um, teaching the pastors and ministry leaders uh, that are there. Next slide, Joe. Um, so the purpose here, again, um, we will be teaching some material that deal with uh, the understanding and communi- communicating Old Testament narrative and law. So excited about that as we talk about how does narrative, how does Old Testament narrative, and how does a law relate to the gospel and so, again, the purpose is to uh, encourage the pastors in the area, but to train them in terms of the gospel. Next slide. So we'll be staying again with Pastor Hope and uh, his wife. They are such wonderful hosts. Um, just so you know, I will not be roughing it. I have warm water and nice bed and air conditioning. So um, it's going to be a great opportunity uh, just to serve them and uh, the church there. And he has done a great work of connecting with uh, pastors in the area and encouraging them in the gospel. So here's what I would ask in terms of prayer. Uh, Next slide. First of all, that the pastors and ministry leaders would grow in their understanding of the gospel. Um, as, As we go and as we teach the word, our hope and prayer is that they would grow in their understanding of it and a deeper love for Christ. Um, I would also add, in terms of us as teachers, that it's a great time because we get to talk about what we're going to teach every day. We will be teaching about 23 hours over a 10-day period. And uh, what we do is we gather in the mornings, we pray, we go over the material. And what it does for us as, as teachers is it encourages our hearts. And so just pray for us that uh, we would have a unity. It would be a team. There will be three of us, Mark Patterson and another new guy, Brian, is going to be joining us. It's his first time. So just excited to work with those guys and develop those relationships. Uh, Pray for energy. It's a lot of time. So what we typically do is we prepare, but we also go during the day. We travel to parts of um, southern El Salvador, meet with pastors in different villages, and hear their stories and try to encourage them. So I just ask that you would uh, pray for us that God would give us energy. I get car sick. Anybody else get car sick in here? Anybody? 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 Okay, I get a little bit. I'm usually the one sitting in the back, which is even worse. And so just pray that uh, safety. By the way, they drive a little crazy in El Salvador. I don't know if you've been there. Um, that, that, that the team would encourage pastors who are struggling and discouraged in ministry. That's, that's a big one. And then all, obviously, uh, travel mercies. Thank you for your prayers. Um, missionaries, uh, Mark in particular, who has been serving. He had served, I think, 14 years in Honduras and now is doing this ministry. There's a huge need in Central America for the gospel. Um, those people uh, have a lot of struggles. So just so grateful for the prayers uh, that you give us. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to share with you this ministry. You said pray for you, so we're going to start right now. Um, Father God, we we um, we know that you love uh, people who are in that area of Central America, and we know that you are speaking to them and ministering your gospel through uh, pastors that are that are located there. We just pray for Rick and for the other gentlemen that are going with him that you are um, able to speak through them, help them have a have a 
a stronger foundation, but help them be able to speak and encourage and minister to and share uh, uh, a, a godly perspective, a richer perspective uh, to help them understand how they can uh, better serve their people and better encourage them in their walk. And we pray for travel. We pray for health. We pray for all those kinds of things that that uh, are are needed or helpful when you're going those distances. We just pray for them that they are a light that is going into a dark place and helping to light the, the some of the lights that are there a little brighter on your behalf. We just lift them up to you in Jesus' name. When I uh, woke up this morning, this verse was on my mind and glasses on, I can tell you what it is, uh, a little more, from Matthew chapter 11, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden in your soul, and I will give you rest. That, that's why we gather here today. Some of us are experiencing this more than others. But, and he, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He is the person in whom you can find rest if we learn of him and take his yoke upon us. Father God, we, we reflect on that song that we just sang. You are good and your love is great. And we reflect on that and we reflect our uh, total uh, undeservedness of, of that. What, what is true of you and it is we are not deserving, but you through your grace have granted that to us. And you call us to bring uh, soul weariness, burdens, uh, things that we were not uh, intended and designed to carry to, to you and to release that and to pick up the things that you would have us carry. Uh, and uh, we just, we just that, that is hard, but we just pray that you will uh, help us to release those, to release those into your hands. We can't carry them. We can't do for. We thank you that you are there in that instance, and we pray that we can be an encouragement to one another. God may use us and in the lives of our friends and family here to to help carry some of those things too. But we pray with their encouragement to one another in that. We uh, we have. Um, some of that burden that uh, we have right now are people in our congregation and, and our extended family that are that are experiencing sickness, and we just pray for them that your hand is on them, that you are comfort to them, that your body, you're, you're healing their bodies, that uh, you are working in that way to help help them return to health, and we lift them up to you. We we lift up Seth and Megan as they work with the college students. We pray for that whole ministry as they encourage one another. As they point, uh, as they point the folks that are involved in that to Christ, and we pray that uh, that will be a uh, a sweet.
time in their lives of, of uh, seeing, seeing uh, God work in them and, and uh, the, uh, in and among them, the lives of, of each other, that you're doing mighty things, that you're doing mighty things there. We, we lift up to you, uh, Jeff and Jennifer Hand and, and uh, Fisher, Fisher Farm Ministry and all the, all the individuals that you have there for this time and, and are growing in their, in their walk with you. We pray for that to be a rich uh, experience for them to, to re reflect on this time, even as they're in the midst of it, of them seeing that some of those, uh, that heavy ladenness and those burdens being released to you. And uh, thank you that they can be a part of, of, of investing in and, and doing that and seeing what, what you work in that context. We pray for Pastor Paul Gordine at Engaged Christian Church. We pray that you are, um, as, they, as they meet and, and uh, learn of you this day and, and open your word, that they are encouraged, that he is encouraged and their congregation is encouraged and, and lifted up as they reflect on you and sing, sing your praise this day. Uh, we we uh, pray for our government leaders, and President Mayor Ivy, and Mayor Reed, and, and Governor Ivy, and the, the, the representatives that we have as they as they seek to serve us, and, and even more so as they uh, we pray that they seek to serve you, and that that is reflected in the direction and the decisions that they make uh, in this in this session that is that is underway. We thank you for their service. We pray that uh, we can be an encouragement and a prayer support for them in the directions that they go. We pray for. Um, a school that is in the city of Fukaku in Japan, and we pray for the staff and students as they had a gospel presentation there. And we just pray that you were you were touching hearts and, and the staff and the students, and that you your your light is is being revealed to them. We lift up to you the the uh, money that has been offered, offering is uh, gifts that have been given online that will be given here in the service, and, and just pray that you multiply those, that you uh, grant uh, the leadership of the church here wisdom and how that those are applied and that they further your kingdom and your glory uh, in what ways uh, they can they can do so. And we pray for Grady this morning as he lifts you up and that uh, it will be your words through him that are spoken. And we just pray these things to a, we ask great things of a great God. We lift you up high. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And first to fourth graders, you're dismissed to kids' worship. So first to fourth grade, you can head to kids' worship. We got Mr. Jeff this morning. <clears throat> well, good morning, Gateway family. It is great to see you this morning. I want you to find Titus chapter 3 in your copy of God's Word or on your Bible app, Titus chapter 3 this morning. Now, as you're finding out, I want to ask you this morning, why are you a Christian? Why did you initially follow Jesus? Why are you still following Jesus today? We live in a world where many, many, many never believe in Christ. Since we pray for the nations, we pray for our city. And yet we live in a world where many who are part of the church, who at least would have said they have faith, have walked away from the church, have walked away from belief. Yet you believe and you keep on believing. Why? Well, the next question in our catechism, catechism is just a series of questions and answers to help us understand what we believe. The next question we come to in the catechism that's guiding us is a question that addresses that very thing. Why do we believe and keep on believing? And so our question for this morning is question number 35. Since we are redeemed by grace alone, through faith alone, 
Where does this faith come from? We're redeemed by God's grace alone, through faith alone. So where does our faith come from? Where does it originate? And we find the answer this morning in Titus chapter 3. We're going to read verses 3 to 6, looking for the answer of where our faith comes from. I'm going to ask you to stand, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. I'll be reading how the English Standard Version, we will also have the words on the screen for you. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you've given us your word, your unchanging word. <clears throat> thank you that you've given us your self-revelation. Today, as we think about what faith is, I pray you would use this to help us, what we just sang earlier, to be in awe of you. Lord, I pray you would guard us from familiarity of just hearing things we've heard throughout our lives or throughout recent years. But Lord, you would capture our hearts with your grace this morning. And we'd leave this place more in awe of you than when we came in. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> now, to answer our question this morning of where our faith comes from, I want to make sure we understand what we're looking at in Titus here. We're in a book written by the Apostle Paul. This is written to one of his co-workers, a guy by the name of Titus. It's written around 65 AD. He wrote this about the same time he wrote the book of 1 Timothy. <clears throat> and the theme of Titus really is how our faith changes our lives and changes our churches. So how does our faith, our belief, change how we live and how we relate in the church? We come today to chapter 3, the last chapter in this short book here, and we come to a summary of what salvation is, what this faith and this transformation looks like. And friends, these verses we come to are absolutely astounding verses. The, the great theologian John Stott said that what we see here in these verses is the greatest, the fullest summary of salvation in the New Testament. Think about that. Of all the New Testament, Stott says that these verses are the fullest summary of what salvation really is. These verses are packed full of riches and meaning for us. So there's a lot to dig into with it. Now, as we look at these verses, the key idea of verses 3 through verse 7 really is the idea that God has saved us. In the Greek language, which this was written, verses 4 to 7 was just one sentence. And if you are, at least the ESV I'm reading out of does a really good job keeping the beauty of that. This is just one long sentence. And the main verb, the main idea of this long sentence that encompassing all these verses at the beginning of verse 5, this phrase, he, God, saved us. Now, what does it mean to be saved? We've seen this in recent weeks. To be saved means to be rescued from the wrath of God. Then we have all sinned. We've all offended a holy God. And so we need to be rescued. We need to be saved. We need to be redeemed because we deserve punishment for our sin. That's what these verses are all about. And everything around this verse is telling us what this he saved us means. We see in here why we need to be saved. We see in here how we are saved. We see the source of our salvation all in these verses. Now, this sounds familiar because it's a thing we've been looking at for the last 39 weeks, but I'm going to briefly touch on these because it builds to answering our questions. So notice here, we see the need for our salvation. Go back to verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. That's not a real happy picture, is it? This is the condition that all of us were in before Christ. This is written to believers, and he is reminding us of how we once were, that all of us were foolish, 
All of us were disobedient. All of us were led astray, going the wrong direction. All of us were slaves to our passions and pleasures, to all those temptations that come our way. He's painting the picture here of our need for salvation because we've offended a holy God, because we've broken his perfect standard, because we have sinned. So that's our need for salvation. Here in these verses, he also shows us the source of our salvation. And we see that back in verse 5. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now, we're going to pause there for right now. Friends, we saw this last week, and this is another reminder that our salvation does not come from ourselves. We can't take credit for our salvation. There's no amount of good works that we can do to get to God. So the source of our being saved is not you or I. Now, friends, you may be thinking, well, we hear this all the time. And yes, we hear this all the time because Scripture repeats this over and over and over and over because the temptation of our hearts is to something we call works-based righteousness. The temptation of our heart is to think that I can do something good for God, that I can somehow please God, that I can somehow get to God. Our, our flesh wants so badly to think that we can do good for God and please Him. And our culture around us is constantly telling us, you're a pretty good person. The problem is outside you, not inside you. So Scripture pushes back over and over and over again to tell us that there's nothing we can do to cause God to save us. There's nothing we can do to cause God to be pleased with us. So if our salvation is not of us, where is it? Well, back in verse 5 here, he, God, saved us. Friends, it is all of him. He did the work. All we do is bring the sin, the rebellion, the idolatry, and he brings the salvation. Now, to reinforce this, what Paul does in these surrounding verses, he shows us all these attributes of God, these characteristics of God, to anchor us in the fact that our salvation is not of ourselves. Go back to verse 4 here, and notice how he describes why God gives us salvation. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Friends, our salvation is not because we're good, our salvation is because God is good. It comes from his own heart. He delights in giving good things. That's reinforced with the next word here, this word loving kindness. In the Greek, this word is the word philanthropia. Sound familiar? Philanthropy. This is God's desire to do good to people who are in need, who cannot help themselves. Our salvation is not because we're good people who chose God. Our salvation is because he himself is good, and in his loving kindness, in his philanthropy, he does something for us that we cannot do ourselves. Unless we miss it, Paul says it again in verse 5. It makes it super clear for us here. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to. Now, let's just stop right there. According to. Here is the reason why God has given to us salvation. Here's the source of our salvation. According to his own what? His own what? Mercy is not because we're good, but because of his mercy, his compassion on people in need. Our salvation owes not to us, but to God's goodness, his philanthropy, his loving kindness, and to his mercy to us. So in these short verses, we see these reminders of things that are not new to us, but that we've seen over and over need reminding of. Our need for salvation. We are all sinners in need of grace. We see our source of salvation, the character, the nature, the heart, the very purposes of God. And that leads to the question, then, how does God save us? And these verses tell us how God saves us. Now, friends, as we look at this, I want us to be prayerful that God would fill our hearts with awe and wonder. If you've grown up in the church and we start talking about salvation, how God saves us, it's easy to be like, hey, I, I know this. 
But there's such depth and such wonder to this. I want God to capture our hearts to what he has done for us and his philanthropy for us that we could never do ourselves. And the key truth in this, and what you see, is that the entire Trinity is involved in saving us. The entire Trinity is involved by saving us. Now, the word Trinity, we studied back in March. So this is going back a long time to week five of our study. But the word Trinity is a word that means try Unity, tri, three, unity, one, three in one. Now, if you remember back from March, the word Trinity is not in the Bible. It's a word that we used to try to describe the person of God, who he is. And so the word Trinity reminds us there's just one God, but he exists as three persons. Tri, unity, three in one. He's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all have the exact same nature. One is not wrathful and one is not merciful. They're all three Fully wrath, fully mercy, fully just, fully holy, fully good. All these attributes, they're all fully all of the attributes. They do not have the attributes divided in different ways. They all have the exact same nature. Yet, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are distinct. The Father's not the Son. The Son's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's not the Father. There is one God, three distinct persons that are unified, and they have distinct roles. And that means even when we come to our salvation, friends, all three members of the Trinity... The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in our salvation, but in unique ways. And we see all three members of the Trinity at work in our salvation in these verses. And I want you to see that here, but I also want you to catch the wonder of this. If you struggle with the fact that God loves you unconditionally, if you struggle with thinking that your life has meaning or purpose, rest in the fact here that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all working together to give you your salvation and to secure your salvation. So where do we see God the Father here? <clears throat> we'll go back to verse number four. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Now just stop right there. Now where's the Father? He's called here God our Savior. Now you may be thinking, well wait, when I hear Savior, I always think about Christ. And we'll use that title for Christ here in verse six in a few minutes. But here, God our Savior is being attributed to the Father. And yes, he is called our Savior. And all the rest of the he's that flow from this until the end, is talking about what the Father does. Now, why is the Father called our Savior here? Quite simply, because the Father is the one who willed our salvation. The Father is the one who came up with a plan, the choice, to rescue us and to save us from our sin. Now, we see this all throughout Scripture. I want you to see it in just two places. One is John chapter 10, verse 28. This is Jesus talking. Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. This is his description of being rescued, being saved from the wrath of God. It says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now, how can he say this? Verse 29, he carries on. My father, now notice this next phrase, who has given them to me. The reason that people are rescued from the wrath of God is because the father has given to Christ a certain group of people to be rescued from his wrath. So the father and the son are working together to secure us in our salvation. It was the will of the father to rescue us. We see it again in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. In Ephesians 1, we're told, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who? The Father who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he, the Father, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That before God even made the world, it was his plan to rescue us and to save us. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, verse 5, he, the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ According to the purpose of his what? His will. This is the plan of the Father. So in, back in Titus, we can be told that in verse 4, we can be called, he can be called our Savior because it was his plan, his will to rescue us 
from our sins. Even before time began, the Father had a plan to rescue you and me from our sins and our rebellion and our idolatry. That is astounding for us. Where do we see God the Son here, Jesus here? Two places. Back in verse 4, we see him referenced here in a kind of indirect way, but you'll see it. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. And we see Christ here in this word, appeared. That the way God has shown us his mercy and his grace and his character is in the appearance of Christ. The, literally, the word is the epiphany of Christ, his coming. This is the supernatural birth of Christ, his perfect life, his teaching us who God is, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. Everything about Christ is in this word, appeared. Because this is how God has shown us who he is. So Jesus can say in John chapter 14, verse 9, when one of his disciples said, Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus says to him, have I been with you so long? You still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Because Christ came, he appeared to show us the will of God. And so when we look at our verse today, the loving kindness, the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, it's referring to Christ coming to do what the Father sent him to do. We see Jesus a second time in this text. Go down to verse 6 today. Whom he, that's talking about the Holy Spirit, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now notice here, now Jesus is called the Savior. Verse 4, the Father is called our Savior. Verse 6, now Jesus is called our Savior because the whole Trinity is working together to rescue us. But there's something important here in what Jesus does for us is he gives us something we need for our salvation. And perhaps for clarity, he gives us someone we need to have our salvation. And what does Jesus give us? Who does Jesus give us? And that's the Holy Spirit. So where is the Holy Spirit in this text? And what, is the Holy, what do we learn about the Holy Spirit's role in salvation? Now, friends, as we dig into this one, it's been said that the Holy Spirit is often the forgotten member of the Trinity. He's the one that a lot of times in the church world we do not think a whole lot about. So I just want to remind us of the outset. We're going to dig into this a lot more next week with the next question in the catechism. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is not an it. So we talk about the Holy Spirit, we don't call him an it, okay? The Holy Spirit is not a force. He's not like something in Star Wars. As much like Star Wars, that's not a good analogy of the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the one eternal God. He, the Holy Spirit, is fully God, and he, the Holy Spirit, possesses all the attributes of God because he himself is fully God. But he's distinct from the Father, and he's distinct from Jesus, the Son, so he has a distinct role in our salvation, We've seen that the Father willed our salvation, that Christ purchased our salvation. So what is his role in salvation? We'll go back to verse 5. He saved us. Now, again, this is talking about the Father saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now, this is the next word, by. Some of your translations may say the word through. This is a preposition in the Greek language that tells us the origin of something, how something happens. So this salvation comes through a certain way to us. He saved us by. Now, here is the process by which, through which, he has saved us. And what follows in the rest of verse 5, after that word by or through, is a unified phrase to describe how the Father has saved us. And so let's see what it says here. How did he save us? By the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit's work here is described in one word, and that's washing. Washing is referring to the Holy Spirit. This is not a reference to baptism. This is a reference to the work of He, the Holy Spirit, in our life. That He is the one who applies to us, who gives to us our salvation. The Father wills our salvation. Christ 
secures it, he purchases it for us, he redeems us, and the Holy Spirit is the one who applies to us our salvation by washing us. And we see washing in Scripture, it is a beautiful image for the forgiveness of sins. It's such a reminder that our sins are what separate us from God. And God sends the Holy Spirit to wash us, to cleanse us from our sin. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives to us our salvation. Now, how does he do that? He does so in two ways. There's two phrases here. By the washing of regeneration and then by the renewal. So by the washing of regeneration of the Holy Spirit and by the washing of renewal of the Holy Spirit. So he washes us by, number one, regenerating us. By regenerating us. Now, regeneration means to give new life. That's why some of your translations say by the washing of rebirth, that the Holy Spirit is the one who gives to us the new life. This is the very thing that Jesus was talking about in John chapter 3, verse 3. In John 3, 3, Jesus answered, this is talking to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one gets new life, this regeneration, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is, again, how I love how John Stott describes it. He says, God has not repaired us, but he has made us new. Think about that. God has not repaired us. There's not like a few little broken things in us that need repairing. We fundamentally at our core are broken. And the only hope we have is to not to be repaired, but to be made new. That's this image of regeneration, of being born again. And that's what the Holy Spirit does for all followers of Christ. Go back. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, by the washing of being born again, by the washing of rebirth. Now, realize the significance of what we are saying here, friends. We are saying that our initial faith, our initial believing in Jesus, was because of the work of the Holy Spirit. That our initial belief was not because we're smarter than other people, not because we are the ones who figured out who God was and found him. That our initial belief was a gift of grace that the Holy Spirit gave to us, that he, the Holy Spirit, regenerated us and gave us new life, and hence the faith flowed from it. We're saying here that even our initial faith was a gift of the Holy Spirit in our life. But that's not all the Holy Spirit does for us. There's a second thing he does. He not only regenerates us, he says here he renews us by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. Now, the word renewal here in verse 5 means the transformation of our nature. To renew something is to transform it. So the Holy Spirit causes us to be born again. The Holy Spirit is the one who comes to us and gives us that, that new birth. But then from that point, he now renews us. He grows us in godliness. He helps us put off the old and put on the new, put off the sin and put on the Christ likeness. The reason why we continue to believe, the reason why we grow in godliness is because he, the Holy Spirit, is preserving our faith and growing our faith. Inference is absolutely astounding to realize that the reason we initially believe is because of the Holy Spirit washing us. The reason we continue to believe is because the Holy Spirit is sustaining us. Friends, I just want to remind us here that you do not have regeneration without renewal. There's no such thing as a Christian who has been regenerated but is not being renewed. This is a package deal we see here of what's being described for us. Go back to verse 5 again this morning. In verse 5, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Now, all this is one thing the Holy Spirit does, the washing of regeneration and renewal. There is no such thing as a Christian who has been regenerated but not being renewed. The Holy Spirit does both things. If there is no renewal, no transformation going on, then there was no regeneration to begin with. 
That's why there's so many warnings in Scripture about not bearing fruit. There's so many things in Scripture that show us that if we have faith, we will be changed and we will be transformed. The Holy Spirit regenerates us and the Holy Spirit renews us. The Holy Spirit gives us faith and the Holy Spirit sustains our faith. But Paul is not done here talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says in verse 6. So he's talked about the rewashing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Verse 6, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we're told that the Father has poured out on us the Holy Spirit through Christ. Now, what does this mean? This is going back to Old Testament prophecy, to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2, verse 28. Notice what it says in Joel. And it shall come to pass afterwards that I will, what's the next word? Pour out the very thing that we just saw what's happening here in Titus. The, the God says, I'm going to in the future pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Now we see this fulfilled at Pentecost in the time of the early church. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the Holy Spirit comes on the early church. The, Jesus has ascended back to heaven. He's told his disciples to go into Jerusalem to wait for the promise that is to come. And this happens. Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house while they were sitting. And it divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now what follows in this next long part of Acts 2 is the people in Jerusalem each hearing the gospel being proclaimed in their own language from these disciples who didn't speak those languages. The people are confused. These men must be drunk. What's happening here? So Peter preaches in Acts 2 a beautiful sermon. We don't have time to dig through it today. I hope you'll read it later. It's amazing. But we come to verse 33 in Acts 2.33 where Peter explains what's happening at Pentecost. He's talking about Christ who says, "...being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit." He has... What? He's poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit happens at Pentecost. Lest we think, though, that's only for those early followers of Christ, Paul clarifies for us here. Look back at verse 6 of our text today. Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He poured out on who? On us. This is for all believers, friends. If you are in Christ, if you've been regenerated, you have the Holy Spirit within you. He's been poured out onto you. He's been poured out into you that you have the fullness of the Holy Spirit in your life if you are a follower of Christ. But notice something here. When you trust Christ, you don't just get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Notice this. He poured out on us how? Richly. This means abundantly, generously, fully. Friends, this means something very profound for us. That if you think about the work of the Holy Spirit to wash us through regeneration and renewal, and He's done so by pouring out the Holy Spirit on us richly, that means everything we need to believe in God has been given to us as God's children. Everything we need to walk with him has already been given to us. Everything we need to keep on believing through the hardships of life has already been given to us. Everything we need to overcome sin and to walk in freedom has been already given to us. Everything we need has already been poured out on us richly, fully, abundantly. It's sufficient for everything that we need. God gives the Holy Spirit fully to every believer. So let's bring all that together. God the Father willed our salvation God the Son, Jesus, purchased our salvation, bought it, redeemed us. And God the Holy Spirit applies to us our salvation. So back to our question for the morning. 
says we are redeemed by grace alone through faith alone. Where does this faith come from? And here's the answer I want you to see today. The Holy Spirit gave us our faith and continues to sustain it today. The Holy Spirit is the one who gave us the initial faith, and he's the one who sustains it today. So back to those first questions I ask you to think about while you're flipping to find Titus. Why are you a Christian? It's not because you're smarter than other people. It's not because you're more moral than other people. It's not because you grew up in the church. The reason you are a follower of Christ is because God and his grace has given the Holy Spirit to you who opened your eyes to see your sin and your need, to open your eyes to see the glory of Christ and to believe in him. He, the Holy Spirit, regenerated you. And why are you still believing in God today? Not because you've had the best discipleship around or because you have the best accountability program. The reason you're still walking in faith and believing is because he, the Holy Spirit, continues to sustain you. He, the Holy Spirit, is renewing you. The Holy Spirit gave us our faith and continues to sustain it today. It was the will of the Father. It was the will of the Son who purchased it for us and is now applied to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. So friends, as we think about our salvation and we praise God for it and we sit in awe of the fact that God looked on idolatrous people like us and forgave us and rescued us, friends, it is very fitting for us to thank the Father for choosing us. It's very fitting for us to worship and thank Jesus for all he did. In fact, we're going to sing that in just a few minutes, but let's not forget the often forgotten person in the Trinity who God has poured out on us ritually, who has given to us fully so that we can believe and so that we can keep on believing. Like that, friends, I want to ask you, as you hear verse 5, where it says, he saved us, do you know that applies to you? Can you say with confidence today, not just he saved people in general, but can you put your name there and know it's true, that he saved you, not because of anything you have done, but because of his mercy? Friends, for those of you who can say with confidence, I know I have been saved. I have been rescued from the wrath of God. I know I'm forgiven. I know I'm adopted. I know I belong to God. We get to celebrate that in just a moment through something called communion. But I recognize there may be some of you here today who are even watching online who you read that and go, that, that's not true for me. I don't know I'm forgiven. I don't know I belong to God. I really don't know him in a personal way. If that's you, as we come to communion, we want to ask you just to remain where you're seated. No one's going to embarrass you, but what we're about to come forward and do is just for those who are followers of Jesus. If that's you thinking, you know, I'm really not sure that I've been rescued from my sin and forgiven, I want you to use this time while we're celebrating communion to pray. Prayer is simply talking to God. And why don't you pray to him and be honest with where you are and ask him, ask him to regenerate you. Think about these verses. Ask him to regenerate you and renew you. Ask him to forgive you of your sins so that you belong to him. But friends, for the many of you who I know and I've seen the gospel at work in your life, friends, if you know Christ, we're going to celebrate together where our salvation came from. We're talking mostly this morning about the Holy Spirit applying it, but this is a reminder to us of the cost of our salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4 is the gospel for us of what we're celebrating. Paul said there to the people at Corinth, I delivered to you as a first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. This is the cost of us, of our salvation being purposed. God is a holy God, and he can't weak at sin. He can't be like, oh, I like her, I like him. I'm going to overlook that. A holy God has to punish every single sin. And either we bear it, which takes an eternity, or Christ takes it a moment in our place. So Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. He was buried, and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, how does communion, the Lord's Supper, remind us of that? 1 Corinthians 11 tells us of why God in his grace gave us a symbol. 
For I received, this is the Lord himself talking, for I received from the Lord what I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, what did Jesus do? Verse 24, he given thanks, he broke, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. So friends, when we break the bread and you come in a minute and you pull off a piece of the bread, this is a reminder to us that Christ's body hung on the cross. That Christ endured the cruelest form of torture ever invented by man. And he bore, he did it to bear the wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to bear it. So when we eat the bread, we're reminded that his body was broken for us. And so he says, do this in remembrance of me. Then in verse 25, in the same way also, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. It's reminding us that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. So as we drink the juice, we're reminded that Christ shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. So Christ said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, until he comes back to his people. So in just a moment, friends, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to ask our praise team to come first to receive the elements. And after they receive the elements, our ushers will begin to direct you row by row to come forward to receive them as we reflect on and think about the, the cost of our salvation. And we don't want you to be hurried or rushed in this. You have time while you're sitting there for your road to be dismissed to pray and to be reflecting on God's goodness to us and the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appearing. And we want you to use the time to worship God and to pray and to reflect. And once you get the elements, there's no rush to take them right away. You can take a few minutes where you're seated to continue to reflect and to take them whenever you are ready. Now, for those who have dietary needs, we have gluten-free communion in the back, but also up front here. And we recognize in the midst of all the sickness going around, if you don't feel comfortable coming up here, that's okay. There's, there's communion elements pre-sealed in the back if you'd rather just pick them up there and go back to your seat so there's less exposure. Whatever would help you worship the Lord during this time as we celebrate this, would invite those who know Christ, who are believers in Christ, to come celebrate. So let me pray for us, and then our praise team will come, then our ushers will direct you one at a time. Father God, thank you seems so inadequate of a word to say right now, to realize that we have been saved from our sin, that we had offended you, we've broken your standard over and over and over, and instead of giving us what we deserve, you've given us mercy out of your heart of goodness and loving kindness, out of your heart of mercy, you've saved us. And in no way did you compromise your justice, in no way did you compromise your holiness, but you did what was inconceivable. You sent the Lord Jesus to come, to be born of a virgin, to live a perfect life, fulfill the law that we break every single day, and to go to that cross as a cruel sacrifice to take the punishment that we justly deserve, to bear the wrath that we deserve so that we will not have to experience it, so we get to experience your grace and your goodness. Lord, thank you seems so inadequate, but Lord, we don't have any other word to say, but thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. And Lord, as we come now to this time of communion, as we look at the bread, as we eat of the bread and drink of the juice, as we reflect on the cost of our salvation, Lord, I pray you would fill each one of our hearts with thankfulness, each one of our hearts with awe and wonder at what you had done for us, knowing that you did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We give you the praise for it all, and we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite our praise team to come, and then our ushers will direct you to come as well.
y'all free, free to stand and join us as we get ready to sing.
Lord, I pray that these truths we have just celebrated, the truths we've read in your word, the truths that we have rejoiced in and sung in song, that these truths would be near and dear to us all week. God, we are such short-sighted people. Forgive us for losing sight of these glorious truths when we get in the trials and the, even the good days when we get in the busyness of life. Lord, by your Holy Spirit renewing us this week, I pray that we would not lose sight of this. And all week long, we find our hearts overflowing and all in thankfulness for your grace that has saved us and that sustains us. We ask it all for your glory and for our joy in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, Gateway family.